Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today, Francesca Bell from Novato, California. And she has the kind of bio that makes me very happy to put her on the program because it reads like I used to see on the back of, of novels. You know, the guy who says he was a, a truck driver and a ditch digger and a and a long-distance runner or some such thing. Well, well, that's what you get with Francesca. She has been a cleaning lady, a daycare worker, a massage therapist, a nanny, a barista, and more. She's published in places like Elle and North American Review. And I think she's here because I read a poem I really liked that she had in Rattle. And so she's well published and she has a second book coming out called what Small Sound from Red Hand Press. You know Red Hand Press, they do a lot of good things. And so, uh, well, I'm really glad you're here, Francesca. Let's do it. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so you deal with heavy subjects. And I do. Yeah. What would you like to talk about? <laughs> um, well, I, I often tell people that I write about all the things that other people don't want to talk about. Or maybe they secretly want to talk about, but they don't because they're more polite than I am. <laughs> um, but I, I thought I would start with a poem from my new book. And, um, and it's actually a poem about an experience I had. I, I like to run. And, um, and this was an experience uh, where I, I, I came across a man who clearly intended to rape me up on this ridge. Um, which is, is, it's pretty isolated up there. And I, I did escape him. One day, my body. I'm tethered since the man on the ridge, limited to the path between the backyards and the cemetery. This body is a rope that swings me over once abyss. I am weak, succulent, a magnet for men who hide in the woods. I knew that trail, like the ridges of my own body that rose up and changed everything. It was my ridge, the way once it was my body, when I was lanky, straight, and invisible, before possibility unleashed itself month by month inside me. One day, there was a stranger on the trail, as one day my body curved out of control making men do things I regretted. 
What makes a man want a woman dead or pinned on moving beneath him? It's bright here on the fire road between gardens and graves. Vultures perch on the chimneys, wings spread to the new day. A deer's carcass rests in the creek beyond the chain link. I am safe here in the open among the already always deceased. It's very, it's extremely vivid. Yeah, and after I encountered that, um, the man on the ridge, it was a while before I felt comfortable going um, out to run anymore at all. And then I altered my path. So I'm always um, on this fire road, you know, which is, is more peopled. And there's a part of it where you go right between, you know, my neighborhood and then a cemetery on the other side of the trail. And um, yeah, that, that was a very disappointing experience. And, and I feel really deeply grateful that I wasn't actually harmed. You know, I was only frightened. Yeah. Yeah, it would be terrible. It'd be tough to be a woman. It is tough. I to say. Be a, yeah. It's tough to be a man also in different ways. Yeah. But it's just really tough to be alive, you know, to be human. Spoken like a poet. Yeah, <laughs> but certainly the, the physical risk of being a woman is different from the experience yeah. of being a man. Not that yeah. men are never at physical risk, but, but mm. in different ways. Yeah, and with less frequency. Yeah. I think it's more avoidable if you have any sense at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a woman is, is we're definitely, you know, being weaker and smaller. Um, we're, we're more vulnerable physically. Yeah. Well, well, folks, I said we deal with heavy subjects here. You know, I did not think of it when I was actually just me reading. But when you said you write about things other people don't, and I hadn't made the connection to Sharon Olds content-wise and that kind of content. And I don't know why, I guess because hers are different. She talks about things within her family and stuff like that, I guess, that, that people don't typically uh, talk about. But uh, yeah, that's something that it's a great quality that she has and you have. Well, thanks. She was a big influence of mine. Um, I read quite a lot of her work when I was younger. And yeah. I think that I think she's inspired and influenced a lot of, of women writers and um, and sort of helped us to feel we have permission to write about the body. Yeah, she's yeah. a fantastic chronicler of the human body. She's super. Yeah. Yeah. One of my yeah. heroes. Yeah, same here. And I think she really opened, you know, like flung open those doors uh, for the women coming up behind her. Yeah. Well, let's hear another poem. That's okay. Lovely. I leave my window open now to hear them. Nights, I hear barn owls calling, shrill as hunger stripped bare, and think of the onion farmer from east of the mountains his broad, exhausted body on my massage table. The owl he told me screamed all winter from his barn rafters. He said the sound made the cold colder when he trudged from field to barn to house. After I touched all the places I was licensed to, bunched tender shoulders that crept toward his ears, beat up hands, 
leathery as a dog's paw pads, each buttock's lonely hillock giving gently beneath my forearm's strokes. He sat up and asked if I'd have sex with him. He promised not to hurt me, to buy me dinner after. He said it plain, did not look away, but I was 20 and knew nothing of desolation or owls or wintering over onions or of a farmer pacing ugly acres as layer upon layer of stinging, weeping sweetness form beneath the frozen solid ground. I, I probably should have said uh, that I didn't know this my whole life, but I discovered it, that onions actually are a crop that you plant um, and then they winter over um, and you harvest them then the, the following year. And, um, you know, most things you plant in the spring and you harvest by fall, um, but the onions um, winter over. And, um, and, and this, this was um, a poem I wrote from, you know, my real lived experience as a massage therapist. Um, yeah, I was a massage therapist four and a half years, starting when I was about, I guess I was 20 when I got my license. You just decided to become a massage therapist? You know, how'd, how'd you get into that? <laughs> I think I got into that um, because my mother had arthritis. And I remember when I was about six years old, I would sit on the couch with her and I would massage her knee, which was arthritic. And and then as I was an older child, when my parents would have um, like like friends over to play cards, I would walk around the table and rub people's shoulders and necks. And, um, and then I think I was about 18 and I got a gift, a gift certificate for a massage. And then I realized that was something you could actually do for a living. And, um, and I, I loved being a massage therapist. Um, it was very hard on my body. Um, I'm not a very big person and to, to work that hard physically, um, it was very hard on my wrists and my elbows and shoulders and neck and, and even my thumbs, you know, and fingers. Hmm. Uh, so I did it for, I did it four and a half years and uh, I just loved it. It was, it, it was a tremendous job. Well, you had said you are a natural caregiver. Yeah, I'm a natural caregiver and I'm fascinated by, by the body, you know, as the container of our lives. And, and then I, I'm, a, I'm rather shy, which most people don't know, but I'm shy in groups. And so for me to be one-on-one -on -one with a person as my job, you know, I was always just one-on-one -on -one with a person in a quiet setting. That was lovely. And, and I liked the intimacy of it. Um, the, the emotional intimacy you can have with someone when you're ministering to their body is really profound. Yeah, so I loved it. Yeah, I miss being a massage therapist. It was a lot like being a mother. <laughs> Without the, you don't have to, you have to discipline occasionally, there'd be a man that, you know, <laughs> might proposition me, I'd have to, you know, tell him no, or to leave. Right. But other than that, it was, you know, it was the pleasant parts of being a mother, you know, the tactile caregiving. Nice. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so this is another Rattle poem. And um, Rattle has that great feature, the poet's respond feature. 
And I've, I've been in there a number of times with Poets Respond poems. And this is one of those. And the title is, um, is actually a headline from a new story. Girlfriend of Las Vegas gunman says her fingerprints would likely be on ammo. When it was hard for him to sleep, she matched her breath to his, then waited while they arced together into night's grave. Consciousness like a shot pulled beneath the line of its trajectory by the force no one can see. Those stale Sundays, they ended up at the range with a bag of guns lugged in heavy from the car. The open air always did them good. And there was something intimate in seeing him take aim. He always bested everyone, tore up the place. After, she did her small part while they watched news of other people's cataclysms. Ammunition wedged warm between them on the couch, they loaded the magazines. Each elegant bullet was powerless without its weapon, like a woman with no man to see her. Sometimes she wants him back. He touched her the way she touched those bodies, her fingerprints entering them on every round, his love lodged inside her like a ghost. That's certainly a different poem <laughs> and a different kind of subject matter. Yeah, I, I remember when I read that headline, um, I, of course, I don't know 100% for certain because I've never read an account of why her fingerprints were on the ammo. But yeah. I lived with a man for three years who was an avid gun collector. And so um, I could just, I could so imagine the scene, you know, where they're sitting together side by side, uh, you know, loading bullets into these right. magazines. And I think that particular shooter, I think he went to gun competitions where he would have, he would have had her helping him load the magazines to get ready for, for those activities. Oh. And um, I mean, cause there's not really another reason I could think of that, that she would have been handling uh, the bullets. Yeah. Uh, but gun enthusiasts um, will sit around and load magazines like that. <laughs> And I remember when I read the article thinking, you know, I, I felt so much empathy for her because I think, I, I don't think there's any doubt, but that she probably loved him still, even after what he had done. And yeah. it must've been a terrible shock. And, and she also experienced a great loss. Yeah. And I mean, really, a really, really profound loss because she yeah. lost the actual person of him and she also would have lost her idea of him yeah yeah i thought that was you know i thought her story was a small part of the story but a very sad one yeah yeah no i would not have thought of it but you having that experience yourself with a gun enthusiast helps you know uh, yeah i'd have trouble visualizing the family activity of let's load some guns yeah, let's load some magazines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> magazines, yeah. what to call it. Yeah, magazines, yeah. <laughs> and I've known um, multiple people who have actually killed someone before. And I have, um, 
I have a cousin who served 15 years in prison for murder. And then I've, I've had a couple of friends who it, they've committed uh, state sanctioned, you know, killings mm. um, that weren't illegal, but so I could relate to her um, still loving him. Yeah. You know, I, I still, I still loved my cousin, even, you know, I grew up with him and I still loved him even after, you know, he murdered someone. Mm. And so I, I think I also related to that piece of it. Yeah. Well, right. You've got some good stories. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had somehow I've had kind of both a quiet and a complicated life. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it, but it lends um, it, it, it creates empathy in a person, mm. which I think is very vital in order to be a good writer is to have extreme levels of empathy. Yeah. It gives you something to say. You react to what's going on, I think, is what it is. You, you, you can't not react if you're empathic. Yeah, and it also gives you, I think, an ability to have insight and to put yourself in someone else's shoes and, um, and to maybe, um, instead of reacting out of judgment, you know, to act out of uh, a feeling of fellowship, you know, the fellowship of mm -hmm. the flawed. Um, there you go. To which, to which we all belong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Let's hear another poem. Okay. Um, so yeah. ever since I was about 24, I've been losing my hearing. And um, my mother is profoundly deaf, but I don't actually think that what I'm losing my hearing from, I got from her. I don't seem to have the types of hearing loss that um, she has that are hereditary. But I think that my hearing loss has been caused um, by having to take extreme quantities of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs because of some chronic health problems. And, um, and so I started noticing I was losing my hearing when I was 24. And then um, I'm 55 now. And so when I was 50, I, I was late, but I finally got hearing aids. I, I should have I had them a long time before that. Mm. Um, and I, I just... It's weird. The, the hardest thing is going and getting your hearing tested because you feel like you're failing. <laughs> and I still hate having my hearing tested. But so I think that's why I waited so long. So this is a poem I wrote um, uh, pretty early into my experience of having hearing aids. They're, they're difficult to adjust to because mm -hmm. you become very accustomed to your loss. You, you, it become, that becomes your normal. Right. Is, is the, the new... Um, your new set point for your hearing that, you know, is you've uh -huh. lost a lot of hearing, but that's now what seems normal. Right, right. Okay. Hush. Evenings, sick of acuity and its cost. I pull at my hearing aids until what entered each ear slides slowly out, drawing sound along with it. Deafness, a relief, as when I've had all I can take of pleasure and push my lover from my body. The world, it's true, is less, absent the part of him that fills and empties me at once. Ecstasy and overwhelm, like life's din, played by the devices in my head. Insistent music, I finally writhe away from. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting to me, the poems about deafness, because uh, it's news. 
to me what it's like. And uh, well, you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, funny. Suddenly, it's, little it's, things are thunderous, you know, in normal life and stuff like that. I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. It's very odd when you first have hearing aids. Um, or even mm. I pretty recently got new hearing aids. Mm. And, um, and all of a sudden, I was hearing things I hadn't been hearing. You know, like when I go out for a run, I could suddenly hear the sound of the freeway, which isn't all that far away. Mm. And um, I, I mean, I can't think of another good example, but that's yeah. that's certainly one. Um, I, I can't wear my hair tucked behind my ears anymore because it rests on top of the speakers for the hearing aids. And then it goes. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. All day long. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Hearing yeah. aids are miraculous. They are miraculous. Yeah, um, I was talking with someone about it. It seems kind of amazing. It it seems like hearing aid technology is not up with other things. Like people have to spend in. Look at the stereo set you can get. Talking sound, you know. Yeah. Compared to what we used to have, you can get this outrageous set quite inexpensively speakers and amps and stuff like that and and with a hearing aid it seems like people have to spend a ton of money to get it right uh, i think they're very expensive and, and well it just seems kind of out of whack to the you outsider know, you know just thinking what what is that about oh no it's very weird um yeah. what's really a shame is that um very few insurance companies pay almost anything to help people with their hearing aids yeah right and um, and they, I think that may change because more and more research is showing that hearing loss um, contributes to the development of dementia and depression. Yeah. And so I think at some point, um, the insurance companies that are going to realize it may in fact save money in the long run to correct people's hearing. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but they're tremendously expensive. Um, my hearing aids were $7,000. And I feel so grateful I'm able to afford them. Yeah. And there are cheaper ones. Um, I'm spoiled. Mm. I have really good hearing aids. Um, and the technology is tremendous. And even this is only my second set because they, they last about five years. Mm. And, and these are already better than um, oh. the ones I had five years yeah. ago. Yeah. And um, these have a music setting that enhances my experience of music. Ooh. That really, it just made me cry the first Ooh. time I... I heard it. It was, it just was so much better. Beautiful. Here's a question for you. Uh, you have um, your children and mm -hmm. dogs too, you mentioned. Yes. Uh, do you, do you have a, a routine for writing or what do you do to get out poems or do you have a technique for yourself when you think you want to stimulate a poem or poetic thoughts or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I did have a really nice routine worked out. Um, I've, I've been struggling since the pandemic. I, I got um, COVID like the, like March of 2020. Wow. And, and then I developed long COVID symptoms. And, and so I've been really struggling to write. I just, my brain fog is so extreme. And I finally was getting better at the end of April, just this last April. And I got COVID again at the end of May. <laughs> so God. I haven't been writing very much the last couple of years. Um, and before that, I was on my book tour. So maybe the last three years have been relatively fallow. But before that, what I try to do for myself and what I plan to, you know, to reinitiate once my brain heals again 
is, um, is I try to write two new poems a week. And, um, and then I try to send out poetry to two different magazines each week. Wow. And, and it, you know, it's not that I always reach those goals, mm -hmm. but if you have those goals in place, then you have kind of a groove to set yourself into, you know, mm -hmm. when the stars sure. align and you're ready to go. Um, and for me, the things that help inspire me uh, running, I get most of my ideas when I'm running. Hmm. And, um, and I, I've, you know, I've read many, many, many writers and artists say that they get really good ideas walking or running, especially outside. And I think there's something about um, physical activity that, that at least for me really stimulates my creativity. And then um, the other thing I try to do is to write in a journal, um, you know, ideally every day. And again, I don't always make that. Um, I, I admire people who do exactly what they should every single day. And I haven't really accomplished that, <laughs> um, but, but I write in my journal and, um, and, and then reading, you know, mm -hmm. reading is really, that really can stimulate writing. Um, have, have you found anything poetic lately that, that you're reading? You know, I'm reading a great book right now. I'm not quite done with it. Um, uh -huh. There's a, an amazing poet named Todd Davis. I'm not sure if you've read his work. He has, I think this is his seventh book. And he's, um, he lives in Pennsylvania in Appalachia um, in Altoona. And this book is called Coffin Honey. And it's just stunningly beautiful. All right. Um, yeah, so that's who I'm reading right now. Got that, folks? Coffin Honey by Todd Davis. Yeah, by Todd Davis. Yeah, okay. Phenomenal super, book. super, super. And I've been reading um, also nonfiction and fiction. Those also mm. help. I think just the act of reading is really good for your brain yeah. and for your creativity. Yeah. Have you, have you seen Margaret Atwood's book? Uh, Burning, I think it's Burning Questions. It's no. all these... They're lovely. They're these short things. It'd be like introductions to books or a little review of something or a little speech you made somewhere. There must be 40 pieces in this book. Oh my it's gosh. Really, I'm it's really, I, I'm not positive of the title, but it's Margaret Atwood. Oh yeah, I no, I think it's fabulous. That. And I think it's Burning Questions. Oh yeah, no, I'm right. Yeah, I love that. it when I get a good nonfiction thing like that. That's, you know, literary, poetic, whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I love to read nonfiction. Yeah, yeah. It's been great to have you, to meet you, to get to know you a little better, to hear your poetry. All in all, a good thing. Folks, don't you agree? Yes, because you're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I am your host, Charlie Rossiter, suggesting you come back to us next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Monley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, 
you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>